I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with another installment of The Showroom, presented by Walker Zanger, featuring the incomparable Susan Ferrier. In life, you will cross paths with truly unique people, and if you are anything like me, you relish those moments. You want them to last. This is how I describe my conversation with designer Susan Ferrier. She is an award-winning creative. Check. Her work is well-published. Check. Ferrier is a member of the Design Leadership Network. Check. She has all the credentials that make her the sought-after, highly creative master of style upon which her reputation is based. But hang on. There's more. She is Southern charm and artistic poetry. Her work embodies the emotion and depth of a true artisan, and she is completely authentic in her work and in the following conversation. Susan isn't just a designer, she is an artist, a a master craftsman in the area of space and atmosphere. It's one thing to space pieces and art in in a room in, in, a, in a given space, perfectly balance the large and accessories alike, master color and texture. It's something entirely different to bend light and shadow among that same design to create mood and atmosphere that accentuates not just the space, but the experience. This is what Susan Ferrier does, and that is what we're talking about in this episode of Convo by Design and this installment of The Showroom. The Showroom is a highly targeted focus on some of the most incredibly talented design professionals working today. This is one of those creatives. This is Susan Ferrier. Are you subscribing to the podcast? If not, please do, so you get every episode automatically as soon as they're published. You can find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and now you can find us on designnetwork.org a destination dedicated to podcasts, all things design and architecture. So make sure to check it out. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger, a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their very best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple with the support you need. They've been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a series in partnership with Walker Zanger called The Showroom. This intimate interview series showcases some of the very best creatives in the business today. Please join us live or catch every episode recorded so you can enjoy it on your schedule. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Welcome, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining Walker Zanger and Convo by Design. It's funny, I always love the first few minutes where I get to actually look at everybody. Hi everybody. Hi everyone. (laughs) Yeah, it's great love, to see everybody. It really is. I love seeing seeing your smiling faces, or even if you're masked up. I, there you are. <laughs> even if you're masked up, I know that you're smiling underneath. I love it. All right, Josh. I think we have what we would call a Zoom quorum. So uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining Walker Zanger and Convo by Design in the showroom. Uh, we appreciate that you joined us today. And please subscribe to Convo by Design wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And with that, Josh, take it away. Thank you, Erica. First thing I would like to do is welcome all of you. Uh, Susan, welcome uh, to the showroom. The showroom is a is a recorded live interview series with amazing creatives. Um, it's it's presented in partnership with with Walker Zanger. So Erica, thank you. Thank you, Walker Zanger. Um, as Erica mentioned, if you like this conversation, and I, I really hope you do, I'm super excited about it. We will be publishing it as a podcast episode in both audio and vis- video, so you can go back and uh, and watch it again. So thank you. And as Erica mentioned, you can you can subscribe to Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts, so you don't miss a single episode like this one with Susan. And that being said, Susan, 
welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Good. I, what did you say before that uh, it, it was it was a choice? Oh yeah, I being offended sometimes is a choice. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's funny because one of the things that I've noticed is as we do more and more of these conversations we find ourselves in little boxes where we really try to work on our lighting and we try to, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm looking at myself today and I'm like, wow, I'm a little orange today, but you know what? It's all right. It's all good. And being, you know, I found that a lot of things are a choice. And one of the things that I've discovered through this process of talking to creatives like you is that you not only make the choices for yourself, but you define how other people are able to live and how those choices affect their lives through the work that you do. And I always like to start with the origin story. I love the origin story. And in, and in your case, I, I want to I hear how you started and why. I want to hear, um, you know, why you leave a firm and go to start your, your own eponymous firm. Um, what was behind it and sort of how you feel about that. And, and for someone like you, even as accomplished as you are, is, is that something that was scary for you? So I guess with that, I, I'd love to know the origin story. Well, whenever you start anything um, that's all your, on your own, I think that it is very scary. You know, honestly, when you have your own business, it's scary every day. Um, there are, it's all in how you handle those fears. Um, I think that it was a, for me to make that big decision to go out on my own has a lot to do with my own personal evolution as a person, as a designer, you know, my point of view, getting to know myself a little better. You know, sometimes you say to yourself, well, I've reached this, uh, I've accomplished this, I've reached my goals, what's next? And I am fortunate that I've had a really, um, I've had great support and a wonderful career uh, but I also think it's important that I keep growing and I keep changing and hopefully bringing new things to the table. I think that, you know, when you, you bring everybody with you, you know, so you might have left them in some way, but they're still, you still have them in other ways. Your, your design, it, so it's so funny. I, I tell this story. When I first started doing the podcast, you know, this is not my first career. My first career was in broadcast, but I've always loved architecture and design. Um, and I would be doing that today had I had a modicum of the skill and talent that you have, <laughs> but I don't. So I can talk about it. Um, and one of the things that I find so uh, amazing is that creatives like you sort of find your, your style. And when I started the podcast, I, I would ask this, this question that today is even when I listen back to old episodes, it's kind of cringy for me. It's not a stupid question. It's just pedestrian. I would ask, so what's your style? What's your favorite style of design? And I realized that the, the incredibly talented designers, real creatives don't necessarily have to do a particular style, but they always have a fingerprint certain through lines, certain things that are always evident in their work that they can build upon which to create any number of different directions to go. And for you, I wanted to start with sort of the origin for certain through lines that I, that I see in your work. It's, okay. it, it's, it's drama, it's emotion, mm -hmm. right? It's feeling, it's like, you you are creating you're creating a set you're creating a story and I'm curious if if you've always designed that way if it was something that you sort of you you learned along the way or if it was there when you started I think it's who I am as a person and I think that if I didn't start off that way it's because someone was stopping me from expressing myself in that way so I think it's it's a, I'm really fortunate that I have been given the opportunity to really fully express myself and, you know, bring that feeling forward um, and be empathetic with the person that's sitting in front of me that wants a space created for them. So I think that a lot of what, you know, I'm not a designer that memorizes the providence of a piece of furniture. I'm always somebody that's 
that looks at a piece of furniture and says that feels good or that feels right, or I like the line of it um, or the mood of it. And I think when you look at everything like that, when it's all added together, I think that you're left with a space that exudes a feeling. Um, I, I feel as if I'm much more agile as a designer if I don't have rules that I have to follow. And I also think that anybody that comes to me and wants to work with my firm, I think that they wanna know that what they're being left with looks like them. So the only thread through the work that I do that I recognize is the atmosphere that's created or a sense of atmosphere that's created. You know, what's interesting to me is I often hear people talk about um, certain comparisons between interior design and fashion. And it's, re it's really interesting to me to hear you talk about interior design as a reflection of them, where when you look at fashion, fashion is awfully, often dictated because they wanna be somebody else. Or, or they want to look like somebody else. So it's really interesting. You can you can look at you can make your fashion choices with an inspiration board based on a model or based on a person that you see. Whereas design really is so personal. And that being said, and because you're trying to find who someone really wants to be, psychology comes into this, and you're talking about things that are kind of challenging at times to drill down on because when you first sit down with a couple he's going to say this she is going to say that or he's going to say this he's going to say that you never it takes time right to get to the bottom of that where do you start do you have a process well you know my process always starts with talking to them and sometimes if you have a couple that you're uh they seem to be really different, but they've got to share something or they wouldn't be together. And it's my job to figure out, <laughs> you hope it's a good thing. You hope it's a kind and healthy thing, but <laughs> you have to really listen to what they say so you can figure out what that thing is, what their priorities are, what is important to them. You know, none of us know what we share with our partners. You know, no one really knows what that relationship is all about. So in a way, I have to kind of be a voyeur and a private detective and try to figure out what it is that they share that's really successful um, because they both have to love it. Listening is a really big part of what I do. And when I'm done, it really should, the interior should really be a self-portrait of the people I'm doing it for. Which leads me to one of the other things I find so interesting about your work. Just out of curiosity, your thoughts on, if I say, it's like free association, right? If I say, uh -huh. the, word, if I say the word maximalism, what's your response to that? Um, you know, I think that I really, I think that if you can do it successfully, I think it's great. You know, I Would think you, there's a difference between just getting a whole bunch of stuff and putting it together or getting a whole bunch of items together that have a relationship. Totally agree. And I, and the next place I wanted to go is I, I wanted to I wanted to actually touch on the edit. But before I did, I'm curious, would you would you consider yourself a designer who practices maximalism at times? Not that you do it all the time, but is that is that something is that an area that you would consider yourself a practitioner? I've never thought about it in those terms, but I will tell you that I will fill a space and I'm filling that space because I'm paying attention to every part of that space. I think it's important to look up. It's important to look down. And I think that when you're working with an architect, you have to be, it's a hand and glove relationship. They've provided you with the substrate and it's your job to clothe it, you know, in something that fits it perfectly. Nobody likes a loose glove or a glove that's too tight. It's so true. <laughs> so if that's, that's maximalism, so then okay. <laughs> no, I, I asked the question because, you know, some people will embrace 
certain tags. Like, yeah, I'm, I practice that. It's something that I do. Some people want to be free of any type of encumbrance, any type of label, any, it, because, you, you know, some don't want to pigeonhole themselves. I, I think, you know, listen, if the more labels you can attach to yourself as here's some, it's a philosophy, you know, it mm -hmm. sort of builds on, on the, on the tapestry. Um, and I ask about that because I wanted to touch on the edit. I wanted to know, because when, when you do fill a space, the way that you do in your design, and one of the things I love, um, I, I love doing the showroom the way that we do it here, because in years of doing the podcast, I mean, listen, before March 13th of 2020, the number of live, uh, the number of recorded virtual interviews that I did, or even video interviews, you know, like this, um, you could count on one hand after wow. six years, seven years. Since March 13th, I haven't done, I've done one live interview since then. The rest I've been able to do to have opportunities like this where we get to talk about your philosophy and then we get to go look at pictures and, and we get to see how it all comes to life. And that's fun for me, although I cannot wait uh, to get back to life. I will just say that. But that being said, I wanted to talk to you about the edit. So the edit is so important. And I'm, I'm curious sort of your, your thoughts on the edit, where you start, do you start from the very beginning or do you generally try to get to a space where you're closer to the end and then start pulling? Um, I don't pull at the end. You don't? No, I don't, I really don't. I think that um, what I do is I layer. And I always go back to the first layer before I add another layer on it. So I think my process is very additive. And um, it, I don't make a single decision at the end of the project that I don't revisit every single decision that surrounds that decision on the way to that decision. So it's a little, it's, it's, um, it, it requires some time and some thoughtfulness. I don't think good design happens in a vacuum. And these things are going to live together, hopefully forever. And uh, I'm definitely somebody that keeps adding on to that onion. And the natural stopping point uh, usually has to, usually, I hate to say it, usually has to do when people are tired. <laughs> they want it to be done. <laughs> You know, the final layers in any interior are the people that move in and what they bring with them at that moment. You know, so you have to make sure that you create something that there has there has to be space for them in it as well. I'm so glad you 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 bring this up because this is this is one of the things that I think gets glossed over and overlooked so often is that you know designers, you're not the only one doing the work. Um, the, the clients are doing a ton of work. You know, it's an, it's emotional, it's time consuming, it's expensive, it's exhausting. And, you know, to put yourself in their headspace, they're excited about this, this project and they're excited. I, I would, I would imagine that you could confirm that people are usually less excited about it towards the end as they are towards the beginning. They get a little, it's just exhausting, right? Well, nobody enjoys the ninth month of pregnancy. <laughs> you know, I'll I mean, take that your word is, on that. No, I mean, you, I've never, you can, uh, you'll have, and I take my word from other people, but I will say that you are just about done by the time you install a house. The client is worn out. Their pocketbook yeah, which, and their emotions. Yeah, which and from the emotions standpoint, I think it, what's what's interesting about that is there's there's a, a certain level of exhaustion that you can attach directly to the decision making process, mm -hmm. where pe where people get really tired of actually making just making the choices. Take the money out of it. It's just I'm tired of making choices. I'm tired of making color choices, and that's why I find I find it so fascinating your process of layering. Because you know, when I when I in advance of this, as I was thinking about us having this conversation, I was thinking, you know, there's really only two ways to do this. There is, you fill a room, and then you go back at the end and you edit it out, and nothing that was there would have been there anyway if you if you didn't en envision it as part of your design, 
Or the other way is to just sort of add as you go and fill. And I think that your process of fill is more, uh, like you mentioned, this additive process where it's like, oh, I can add a touch there. I think it was, I, I butcher quotes all the time, but it was it was Picasso, I believe, who, who said something to the effect of, he's done 20,000 paintings and never finished a single one. Just because oh. he never he never felt like his work was completed. And I'm curious if, you, if it sounds to me like you don't feel that way um, because you do layer along along the process. And I'm curious how you know, this is, this is gonna be such a difficult question for you to answer, but how do you know when you're done? I think I know when I'm done because it strikes a balance in my mind's eye. You know, the, the, the first virtual reality that ever existed should be in your head. And when you do these, and when you do these interiors, you know, I layer these pieces in these rooms and I'm looking for something that resonates with my eye. It's almost really good math. Um, it's, you have to recognize when the balance is struck in the color, in the texture, in the lines and in the forms. You really have to uh, be very, you have to pay attention and be mindful as you're doing your interiors. There, I'm not absent from any rooms that we work on. I am thinking about them. There's a reason for pretty much every move. I could go so far as to say, if I removed one thing, then I might, oh my gosh, things have fallen apart. I have to put that one thing back. <laughs> but that's, those are my own issues. <laughs> It's, but it's a, it's a real issue, and which leads me to sort of the next idea in that is I wanted your thoughts on accessories. And it, it sounds like such an easy thing, right? The smalls. It sounds like smalls are such a, you know, I've done a lot of work in the past with the um, Set Decorators Society of America. Mm -hmm. I, I love set decorators. I think Tony Duquette was a, was a set decorator. I know a, a number of designers were, were set decorators before they became designers. Um, set decorators and designers are not the same thing. And when designing a set, you know, there is no client. It's just a page, right? So you can look at a story and then it really falls on the designer, the set decorator to decide what should be there and what isn't. But what's fascinating is that they're designing a story. And I don't see that in every designer I speak with, but I definitely see that with you, like, because your work is, is there is so much emotion there. There is drama. I'm curious if you feel as though you're telling a story when you're working with your clients. And because of that, the smalls have to have to represent almost one of the most challenging parts of that, because finding a big piece takes far less time than finding a lot of small pieces that are perfect for the space. Well, I feel like I am telling their story. So I'm communicating their story, which actually inspires me and keeps all the work usually very fresh because um, that, that's not my responsibility. They come to me with a story and it's my responsibility to illustrate it. Um, I do like large gestures when it comes to accessorizing because I think that you have to look at every space graphically. Um, it's a three-dimensional thing, but I also sometimes take each elevation and look at it in the second dimension, you know, as a flat thing. So you have to kind of go back and forth between those two worlds. So accessorizing, you, I'd rather do one larger gesture than do a lot of tiny little gestures. Um, because it's too, it gets, it's too much conversation that doesn't have a lot of meaning. Sorry, Josh, the difference. I am, am going to interrupt because what you're saying, Susan, is, is also true in the world of tile. It's, it's mm -hmm. like you can, you can find that beautiful pattern or display that you love and use it in a grand gesture, as you mentioned, and, and save the, the white or the, the, mar the other pieces of marble for something else. But you can take that big, beautiful, bold tile that you love and use it in that grand gesture and, and move forward with the rest of your design. I just think, you know, it's just such a, it's, there's so much more about it than just, just the world of accessories. Sorry to interrupt. To, yeah, to your point, to your point, if you were gonna hear some of the things that I've designed, 
I think that I would rather hear a long, low gong sound than a bunch of tinkling bells. <laughs> that might okay. be a reach. <laughs> no, that's, no, you know what? You know what's interesting? Gosh, I love this. I, I really do. Very rarely, and I think the audience might might be able to sort of feel this as well, but very rarely do we talk about design in terms of what it feels like, what it sounds like, what it smells like, what it sounds, you know, I, I just, I just, it just, thinking about all those things. And that's one of the things, you know, that being, being an editor as well, I, I love magazines. I love the books. I love the tactile feeling. Mm -hmm. I love going page to page. The problem that I have, it's not a problem. It's just, it is what it is, is you can't smell it. You can't hear it. Mm -hmm. You, you can't, you can't really put yourself in it and, and tap, feel what the, what the rug feels like. Mm -hmm. Um, and as a designer, you kind of have to think through it because your clients don't get to feel it or see it or smell it until you provide it. You want it to be a really sensory experience. And I will even joke sometimes when I'm working with people and we'll pick out a color. And I know that I really like that color because it looks like it would taste good. Do, do you know what I mean? It, it's, oh, that's tangy or that's warm. Um, but I do think that as you, I do think that other senses come into play and I wonder what the sound is when I look at some rooms and what sound are you emitting? And, and I think I, I, I bring that up and I lean in a little bit on that because I really do think it's so important. And I think it's, it's, it's not considered oftentimes. And the, I can give you an, an example that I think illustrates it um, that everyone can relate to. Everyone's heard the story that when you're selling a house, you know, before the open house, bake some cookies, right? Mm -hmm. Dry a load of clothes. Everyone's heard that. And it's true because they've done studies on this. This is something that scientifically there's evidence to support that these types of things do help people feel like that is more their home now because that's something that they can relate to. And I think, you know, I've often wondered if, if the same principle could apply to design. Well, it's a living thing, you know, it's, it's, and when you, when people are in the space, it evolves and changes with them. And so you have to remember that what you're creating is something that is, has a respiration, you know, it's got a, it's got to expand when it needs to expand. It's got to hold you when it contracts. I do think it's a living thing. And I, I really think that if you are doing a space and you're not imagining people in it, um, then you're probably, you need to think about it. You need to think about putting people in it. I don't want to say anything, but it is for human beings. You know? It, yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to, I want to jump into the imagery in just one second, but before I do, I had one other question for you that is of interest to me, and I, I imagine it's of interest to everyone else too. Specifically, as it relates to your design, it's about people. Since March of 2020, our lives have dramatically changed. We, we have all changed the way that we live. Um, our clients have all changed the way that they live. Your design has, has to accommodate for those types of changes. I, I'm curious how things like tech in particular, cable and wiring, wiring the, the things that designers just hate to have to think about, but you do now even more so than you ever did before. I'm mm -hmm. just curious how the last 10 months have changed the way that you work and changed the way that you design and changed, if at all, your process. Well, Technology, technology has been with us for a long time in the home and you always work around it. And yes, I do kind of, it is not the fun part for me. Um, uh, but in my own home, the only thing that I can say is I've had to rearrange things ever so slightly in order to have a place to sit and work. Because when I did my home for myself initially, I did not design that. I thought I would always be going to an office. So I've had to adapt my own space. Mm -hmm. And I do hate wires. I will, I 
I cannot stand them. Um, so for me, I have to think about a way to conceal them. You know, accessory items can be good for that. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, yeah. So I, I also have to think about now when I start new projects, I think that we might be living like this for a little while. Or at least we now, you know, once you know something, then you have to, you have to um, pay attention to it and you have to program for it in your interiors. So now when I work with clients in spaces, I have to think where are they going to be if they need to work from home? Are there two separate um, uh, office working areas for a couple that both have careers? You know, where is the homework station going to be? You know, since March, most of my maintenance calls for my clients are recovering chairs that their kids sit in to, to work on their on their homework. And I hope, I hope that I have backed computer stations into the wall so you don't see the wires. And I'm thinking about that. I think <laughs> I don't want to look at that. Nobody does. But I think it's changing the way all of us think about technology. I'm embracing technology. When I get on, I actually love Zoom. I know there's a lot of people that complain about it and they think that I'm tired of another Zoom call. But if it weren't for Zoom, if I hadn't embraced it, I wouldn't be able to continue doing the thing that I love in a really good way. So I feel like technology has saved us. I mean, the internet has opened up I love to travel and I haven't been able to leave, get on a plane or leave the country. Um, but I can visit places. I can visit places online and I can put, I can do research on cultures so that I'm still living an enriched life. So I do think that technology, um, I think technology is, has been a gift for artists and people that require you know, um, delving inside themselves, you know, for um, ideas. Yeah, and no, you... totally. Yeah, uh, and inspiration. I totally, I totally agree with you. And, and it's, it's, it's fascinating too, because, you know, none of us got to go to KBiz. None of us went to Modernism Week. None of us went to West Edge Design Fair. Or, I mean, you name the event, none of us went to it. Salona, we thought we were going. We thought we were going. And then the week but... before we canceled. <laughs> Yes, we did. <laughs> Groundhog and, Day is next week. <laughs> boy, isn't that the truth? Groundhog Day has been every day since, but, I know. you know, I digress. Um, with that, I think, you know, the perfect place to start is, Erica, if we could go into some imagery, and we're going to start with this Austin restaurant. And folks, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to do a little a deep dive into, or as deep as we can, into some of Susan's projects. And what I'd really love to have here, I'd love for this to be interactive so you know that y'all are a part of this too. Down at the bottom, there's the chat feature. If you have any questions about this, please don't hesitate to type those in. Um, and Erica is gonna moderate that. And if when the time comes and it's appropriate, she'll sort of break in and we can get all those questions answered. So if there's something you wanna know about technique, if you wanna know where Susan sourced it, if you wanna know about where it came from uh, or anything else, please do ask. So Susan, what are we looking at? Where, where is this? This is a restaurant that um, we did in Austin, Texas. And it started off, I think it was inspired for the client, it was inspired by his tremendous wine collection. Okay. So he really wanted to have a restaurant that um, reminded him of the South of France. And a couple of things that I'm noticing. Well, first of all, before I, I even comment on that, what, where did you come in? Did you come in at the very beginning? Yes. Um, did, okay, you came in at the beginning. Were you working with the architect at the time or was the restaurant toward yes. the client? The architect was? Yes. Okay. No, I worked with, I came in from the beginning with the architect. Okay. And so the client, by the way, did you do the, did you pick the art as well? Did you do, is it, is it I worked with the artist. Oh. I worked with the artist, Michael Dines. Amazing. And I had to talk to him about using purple. 
he'd never used purple before. And I said, we've got to come up with something. And, and why is that? That's the owner. That's what the owner wanted. Well, we why? wanted to remind people of France. Okay. So they have the lavender and lavender is lavender. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, it's funny. I, I am, I will ask stupid questions all day long to get where I need to go, but you know, purple, I get the wine connection, but mm -hmm. you know, every, oh, that's so nice. Um, how many bottles did you have to accommodate for, or what was the plan? Um, I thought you were going to ask me how many bottles I had to drink. And so I got a little nervous. Um, no, uh, <laughs> thousands of bottles of wine. It yeah. was a growing collection. So once you filled the walls, you, we had to think that we've got a double. And there was a little wine room, a double, double height wine room, I believe, that was attached to one of the dining rooms. I can't give you a number. No, no, no. That's, that's fine. It's not that. It's, here's why I asked the question. Because it feels to me, it doesn't feel crowded. It feels like you took the wine and you, you turned it into art. Um, it feels like functional art to me. It, it is functional art or wallpaper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, it became an architectural feature. Yeah. And so uh, it, it was, um, it became a pattern or a texture that went away. And changed. Uh, we, have a, we have a guest who would like to know how you chose citron for the color of the upholstery. Okay, so I'm on a train in the south of France and it's the spring and we're passing by these fields that are just coming alive and this color was blanketing for as far as the eye could see when I was looking outside the train window. So yeah, I love this color. I feel like this color is really, really percolates um, uh, wooden tones and things like that. So I always think that this color reflects a lot of light. And then the next question is, are each of the cases thermally controlled? Mm, I think so. I'm not sure about the wall, but I think that was the intention. That was the intention. It's, it's a great feel, question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, please go ahead. How do you feel about mixing metals finishes throughout a home? Do you go by any rules or guidelines? I'd like to mix metals and metallic finishes, but you have to do it really thoughtfully and in a really balanced fashion. But I love silver and gold together, bronzes and silvers and golds, but you have to be consistent and measured in where you place it. Oh. It's not haphazard. You've got to put, it's easy just to use all one color. You have to really think about it if you're going to use more than one. The other thing that I noticed that you that you did here, just it it feels it feels you know it it feels magical because you can see it, but you you can also completely forget that it's there. Is I'm trying to count the sources of lighting that you incorporated into this space. I mean, you've got the 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 lighting that the lighting that illuminates the wine, you've got the overhead, you've you've got the LEDs, you've got the art, you've got the windows, you you strategically placed lamps. Um, was the lighting element a challenge for you? Because restaurant lighting is is a little bit different than residential lighting, right? It is, but I know the client came to us with uh, he wanted this to feel like a home, which is why he wanted a residential designer and architect uh, to work on, on this restaurant. So I concentrated on the decorative lighting. The lamps bring the light down to where your face is uh, and the picture lighting, you know, lighting the art. So we tried to incorporate as many different levels of lighting. And by levels, I mean how far above the finished floor the light was so that it could mimic what it feels like when you're in your when you're in your own dining room. So there's a warmth that comes with it. I mean, we've all been in restaurants where the light 
comes just from the ceiling. And if you're unfortunate, it will hit you directly on the top of your head <laughs> and make you look like a ghoul while you're eating dinner. So I think that it's called, it's vanity lighting. I think <laughs> when you go to dinner for a special occasion, you want to look good. So I think it's important to bring some light in from the side and have it be filtered. One we other do, thing that I, Erica, one second, one second, please. The only other thing that I, I just wanted to comment on that before I, before I, I lose track of this is something that I, that I noticed the moment I looked at it with regard to the seating. This is not a, by any stretch, this is not a large space, but one of the things that you did, especially with the seating in the, in the middle, as well as the, the paneling on the walls, is you've got this element that I don't know if it was intended or not, the sound baffling that you get from this. I mean, being in audio, I will tell you firsthand, sound is everything to me. And looking at this and how you got the sound baffling off of all this upholstery, what, what was the thought process as you went into this? Well, I can assure you the baffling of the sound was intentional. Um, that's another pet peeve. As I get older, restaurants get very loud. At least I remember them being loud when I was in them. Um, but, you know, it gets really loud and it kind of takes away from the enjoyment. You know, this is, you know, just like with the lighting, this was an opportunity um, and a great um example of how you work with the architect and the interior design to accomplish one, uh, um, uh, I don't even know what you could say, one quality. Um, it, this was done by uh, uh, McAlpin, was the architect on this. Uh, David Baker was the project manager uh, on this project. And I worked very closely with him on making sure that you can hear each other when you're sitting across the table, that the lighting was just right. This is a really fine example of what happens when you work really well with other people on the team. I can totally see it. Sorry, Erica, go ahead. No, the question was uh, with regards to this image we're looking at, what is the paneling that you used on the walls? Um, you know, I, the, the, I, it's horizontal planking and we painted it. It's not stained. So I'm going to go out on a limb because I don't know. That would have been something that David would have specified. But I will say that whatever it was, I know it wasn't really expensive. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, you've got to save some places so that you can splurge in others. Yeah. You got to buy the lights. You have to, you got to get that art and those mirrors in there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Um, okay, so this is, is this one of the wine rooms or were there multiple? This was the main wine room. Okay. Uh, it was a private dining um, uh, room as well. I love that. And that, there's not enough wine in there. There was more wine by the time we finished. <laughs> Isn't that always, always the case when designing? <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought there was more. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been a hole in the bottle. Okay, yeah. so um, I love that. I absolutely love that. With, with this, okay, so we are jumping over to the Kipps Bay Design House. Um, Susan, what what year was this? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Twenty seventeen. Seventeen. Thank you, Erica. Okay. <laughs> so. Talk about moody, talk about oh, drama, talk about atmosphere. Oh my gosh, um, I love this. Okay, so one of the questions, the first question I have for you about design houses is because you don't have to serve a specific individual or a specific client, you get a little more freedom, right? Where do you start? Whenever you're doing a show house, you you're in a situation where you get where you get, where you get what you get. And you have to start with, how can I heal what is usually not the best architecture you've ever worked with? I hate to say it. People say, don't you love to do a show house? There's no, you can make all the decisions because you don't have to think about a client. And my answer is always, you have the most formidable client when you work on the show house because you are kind of stuck with 
however this room came. There was nothing that you could really change. You could change it, but then you had to change it back. Usually they're properties that are for sale. Mm -hmm. So you have to put everything back the way you found it. Um, this was a particularly unattractive space. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, I have got to bathe this in shadow. So I immediately said, I've got to go with a dark color because that will make it feel rich. But a lot of people don't respond to a lot of depth and color. They need something light. So hopefully you'll notice that almost everything that I've used in this space is light. So instead of painting the walls white, um, I just had everything inside those walls take a lighter, the lighter tone. It's a reversal. It's like negative. I switched the negative and positive space. Yeah, yeah, I I totally get that. And then and then you worked with a, a little pop of color, a little pop of color here and there, uh, mm -hmm. just sort of finish it out, and it it feels. Um, Ah, oh, it's so great. I absolutely love this. I love this. And then the artwork, I was going to ask you about the, the artwork. Okay, so this artwork is a set of archaeological etchings that I think I found online. And it really appealed to me because I love culture, so I love archaeology. And I bought them for myself. And I was really happy that I had an opportunity to use them and share them with everything, everyone before I, you know, put my arm around them and kind of said, oh, this is just mine. <laughs> Quick question about um, accessories and smalls. I I'm just curious, you know, if you're in Texas, you say, oh, we're definitely going to Round Top. If you're in LA, you're going to the, the, the flea market at the Rose Bowl. Uh, if you're in Dallas, you're going to Canton or, you know, outside of Canton and, tra and trade days. I'm just curious, um, do you have a spot? Do you have a place where you go domestically? Because in, internationally, that's a whole other story. But domestically, do you have a spot where you go to, to pick and find? No, because you know my answer was that I do, I spend a lot of time shopping in, in France, in Paris, yeah. in, in the south of France, um, like a lot of us have. Uh, and that's when I would find some really great things. Um, but domestically, because of technology, when I was in Europe shopping, I developed relationships with people that I trusted. And so I did every, a lot of shopping I did online. But for accessories, accessories really take an awful uh, big time investment because you have to look everywhere to find the special things. And you have to really go twice as deep to find things that not everyone else is using. So it's, you have to be a treasure hunter. And, oh, yeah. and, you, and I wish there was one spot. I've been to all those places that you've talked about. So the, the only answer is yes, all of them. And and the follow up to that, just quickly, um, do you have do you store? Do you have them in your house, or do you try to clear things out as quickly as they come in? Um, I'm tr I try not to store. I try. That's that's um, you. I don't want to forget about anything. And of course, yes, there's a lot in my house. But you know, once it kind of comes in the house, it doesn't really want to leave. So. Um, if I see something, you know, my eye, it's really about how your eye is tuned toward the projects that you're working on and the clients that you're working with. So you start to see things that you remind you of those people that are your clients at that time. And hopefully you will buy something, share it or find it and share it before you buy it with the client and have, and ideally it goes directly into somebody's project. And, and I and I ask the question only because, you know, um, I've had this conversation so many times with with people who have gone back and forth. Some will say, you know what, I've got I've got four storage units and I just meticulously itemized what I have and where it is, um, you know, but you will always forget bolts of furniture or bolts of fabric. You always forget things. I like to know the people that have those storage units. I mean, that is just, see, that's a no brainer. I have a lot of friends and I know a lot of dealers that have storage units and that, I mean, I don't have to do that. They've already done it. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a great point. 
Well, Susan, we did have one question in in uh, regards to the space, and that was if you knew the paint color that you used. Um, it it was a. I don't right off the top of my head, but I know that it was a ferro and ball color that I selected, and I only know the story behind it. Oh. I was looking for the color of ink in money, and this color ended up being one of their colors, trending colors for that year that was uh, that we both happened to pick independently. But it is, um, I don't know the color of it. Well, you know what we'll do head. is we'll, we'll try to follow up on that. And if, if we can find it out, uh, find out what that color is, we'll put it in the show notes um, when we publish this. Um, but I absolutely love this. Uh, Erica, for time, is it possible to uh, jump to the lavish tutor? Yeah, it's open. Oh, okay. This is it. So Susan, <laughs> welcome, welcome home. Thank you. It doesn't look like that right now. <laughs> So how long, how, this is your home. Um, yes. What is, okay, what is the story behind it? When did you design it? When did you find it? And what was the process? And then the biggest question I have for you is, um, what kind of client are you? Like, are you, a, are you a good client? Would your designer, does your designer like working with you? Well, when I was, when I was, when I was doing this, when I was working on this house, um, I had one of my really best friends. I, it became apparent that I needed a project manager when I was working on this house. And I uh, was fortunate enough to work with somebody that loved me and knew me. And she worked um, on making sure that things kind of happened. And after we were done with it, she looked at me and she said, you know, I thought I knew you really well, but um, I did not realize how uncompromising you were. And I, you know, and this is, and I was, I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I do believe that in design, you have to have a thesis statement. You have your story. You have the thing that you're trying to create, that feeling or that atmosphere you're trying to create. And I think it's really important that you stick to it. And those are the most successful interiors. The interiors that don't forget um, what your very th first thought, visceral reaction was uh, to, this, to the space. You want to be um, evocative. You want to bring about that feeling in the end. This was a house that was abandoned for two years. Um, I believe that I bought this house. I was fortunate to find this house um, with my husband uh, at a time when um, I think it was 2008 when the bottom fell out of everything. I think we got this house, I believe, in 2010. It was a foreclosure property. The bank owned it. It had been abandoned. It was any, but there was no kitchen or bathrooms. We couldn't even get a regular home loan uh, in order to, to buy it. And I thought, this is perfect. I can do exactly what I want. And I don't have to honor someone else's bad design decision or pay for it. <laughs> so, so that being said, um, uh, gosh, that's an amazing story. What did you, were there, what did you find? I mean, you, you have sort of two, two options, right? Either you found when you, when you pulled, when you got down to the studs, was it, a, was it down to the studs that you were, you were pleasantly surprised or did you find anything that you wish you hadn't had to deal with? Well, I probably shouldn't say this because someday I might want to sell this house, but there were mushrooms growing inside the house. So I'm going to say it anyway. There were mushrooms growing on the ceiling in one of the rooms of this house because it had been neglected for so long. Now, not many people can say that they've had to flick mushrooms off their ceiling. Um, we do not <laughs> have that problem, but it is a hundred year old house. Yeah. You know, and things need to be cared for. So I, um, this house, uh, it really needed, it needed us. Yeah, it needed us. And I walked away from the deal at one point. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then I went out and I looked at all these other houses. And then I looked at Adrian, my husband, and I started to cry. And I said, I want that house. <laughs> well, so. so, but again, as we look at this, um, your, your desire for shadow 
um, clear, clearly was was present at the time you were you were thinking about this space, along with your your whole idea of the abstract and the reversal. Um, you 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 employed that here as well. Yeah, when yeah, I saw this, when I just heard what you said about you know, you, I, when I saw this uh, picture being next, and you just said what you said, it was uh, this marble needed you. Uh, this fabrication and this design is really really gorgeous, and it really allows this natural, beautiful material to shine. And I can tell you worked hand in glove with your fabricator to make this happen. <laughs> This is not a mistake. I did. Yeah, I was really, that was like, that was one, that was kind of a splurge for me. I thought, oh, I need this. Yeah. And it's masculine and, and feminine as uh, we just had a chat mention that it's, it's, what, what is this space? Is it part of the kitchen or? It's the butler's pantry. That's gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Thank you. Um, gosh, I love this. I love this. Um, was your feeling as you went through this, did you have, because we, we've been talking about drama, we've been talking about feeling, we've been talking about sight, smell, sound, the, all the senses, right? Did, aside of, from the smell of mushrooms, did you know sort of what, what did you, what did you want? Did you know coming into this or was that process with your project manager kind of like a, 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 an evolution? Um, I think that I knew that I loved high contrast because I felt it was really dynamic. And I knew that I had to do a lot of healing of architecture because I'm really fortunate. I work with really good architects. And this house maybe didn't have the best architect um, when it was originally built. So I've learned how to use paint to create depth. And, um, you know, and I think what you'll see in, in a lot of the work that I do is I learn how to use drapery and paint architecturally to kind of cover up and make, um, um, <clears throat> cover up architectural mistakes and put your best foot forward in a space that may need a little bit of help. Some spaces you can decorate your way out of. This house, I was able to decorate my way out of. And, and I'm curious if, if this was something that you, that, that is innate or if you had to learn, if you had to learn this over time. Um, decorating my way out of things. I can't remember when I... Architecturally speaking. Um, I think that I've had a lot of, I've worked with a lot of really talented people. And I think that I've learned a lot, but I think that um, I, I've read a lot. I've seen a lot. I take in a lot of, you know, I get a lot of visual food. Um, I think that it's, you get better at what you do, the longer you do it. So I am the recipient of a lot of really, really smart ideas from really smart people. And hopefully I've honored them by making it in the, making it appear in the world as a real thing. I, I, I love this. Um, specifically because, you know, this is something that I haven't, like I mentioned before, I haven't really had the opportunity to do this. And the feedback that we've gotten is, you know, going through and doing these case studies and these deep dives onto, onto all of this, um, it provides this education that you don't learn when you're learning to be a designer. You know, you learn a lot of history and you learn about color and you learn about materials. You learn about a lot of things that are important to, to the function of being a designer. Right, but they're learning who you are as a designer. You don't learn that um, until you get out and you start doing it. Right, and this has been just so much fun. So this is this is the yard. Was the pool there already? No, this is another um, home. Oh, this is the next project. Yep. Sorry. Okay, this is via via Violetta. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, where is this? Alice Beach, Florida. Okay. And by the way, for the sake of time, because we've got we've got two minutes, and I want to be oh. respectful of everybody's time, um, can you just sort of tell us what? about this project and where it came from, and especially again your philosophy as it relates to the design of this room, this space? 
Um, this is a project that, um, this is my very first uh, plums and purples uh, uh, project that I'd ever done. And it was for a wonderful um, woman. Her name is Julie Keeter. And she was recently widowed. And it's a property that she thought that they would, that she would be sharing with her husband and going, and she decided she was going to go forward and uh, develop this property in this house. And it was going to be a really, it was going to be a wonderful feminine uh, place for, I think that I've, it's where all her, she and her girlfriends meet. So there's a real strength in its femininity. Um, and it was a color palette she trusted. And it was a color palette that I didn't normally work in. And it was absolutely a wonderful experience. It was a wonderful experience. And it turned out to be all the colors that you see in the sky at the beach as the sun is setting. All those, you know, purples and corals and pinks. Um, and it's, it's an oceanfront property. And I know that she spends a lot of time in here. So it's well loved and well lived in. I, I love that. Here's what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you. Um, just out of curiosity, Susan, how are you for time? I'm fine. You got a few extra minutes. Okay. Here's sure. what I'd like to. Here's what I'd like to do. I, I do want to be respectful of everybody's time. It's it's one o'clock uh, here on the West Coast. Um, I, I want to thank everyone for joining us. What I'd like to do is I'd like. I know we still have some questions that didn't get answered, and I think that maybe some folks have some additional questions as we continue to talk. I'd, I'd like to be able to answer everyone's questions if we could. So I will, I will we'll keep this open, but here's what I'd like you all to know if you do have to go. Again, thank you so much, Susan. Um, this was amazing. Erica, thank you. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for making this op opportunity possible and uh, working with us on the showroom. And thank you all for joining us today. And again, if you'd like to hear this again or see it, because maybe it's something that you missed, we will put it on the Convo by Design podcast uh, feed as well as the YouTube channel so that you can watch it again. Um, and again, thank you. Uh, with that, what I'd love to do is say, if, if, if those of you who have to go, um, it was great to see you. And we're gonna keep going a little bit. Erica, are there some questions that we didn't get to? Um, no, we actually did get to all the questions, but but we there did. were some okay. compliments um, that about the um, uh, number one, your design vocabulary that came up a couple of times. I think everyone enjoyed your journey that you took us on through through your gift of language. So thank you for that. Um, and then I think that one of the another sort of theme that came in the, some of the questions was just this play of masculine and feminine. So maybe we could talk about that just to, just a touch. Well, I believe that you should rise to every occasion. And if something is really strong in masculine language, I think that you have to uh, be strong in your feminine language so that together they become much more powerful. And one doesn't um, dominate the other they have to be two really strong, equal elements. You know, I love Italian design because it's so, it's so, it, there's some strong feminine principles in Italian design, you know, the curves and things like that. Um, and everybody really likes a strong space. They feel safe. They feel safe in a strong space. I think that's true. I also think that's more important now than than ever before. It's incredibly accurate. Yeah. Poignant. And there's a lot of uh, uh, comments about global and worldly. And, and I think um, for me, I'd just like to know, what's your favorite place to go in, in France? Um, I love Il Sur Le Sorgue. I mean, I have for years. I mean, I the one of the things that I miss from my isolation um, is shopping. <laughs> and exploring and hunting for treasures. And I always knew that whenever we went to the South of France, you know, you were just assaulted by the beauty of it. It's, it was so wonderful. And even the way they, um, you know, way they conduct themselves uh, in their everyday life, there's was a grace to it. But I really, um, 
I always found something really good there. You always go back to the scene of the crime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I love that. And and thank you, Susan, for, for staying a couple extra minutes. And, and everyone, thank you for, for sticking around. Um, I kind of, to be honest with you, I kind of got lost in the journey a little bit. I lost time a little bit. I just so <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed uh, the tour. Um, I thank you. I did too. Thank you, thank you, Susan. And thank you for doing this. And, and again, thank you all for joining us. This was, this was wonderful. See, what did I tell you? Amazing. Simply amazing. Susan, thank you. Thank you, Walker Zanger. Erica, thank you for your work here and behind the scenes. And thank you for listening. Without you, there's no joy in doing this. You are greatly appreciated. My hope is to bring you inspiration and sublime design through these conversations to give you that extra push to be the most creative designer you can possibly be. I think we did that here. Please make sure you are subscribing to the show so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X and ConvoByDesign.com. Be well, and remember to take today first. Mm-hmm.